the city, and we're absolutely delighted for that. I have been able to work with Tyler now for some time since arriving last July, and I have to say that I've appreciated so much his friendship as a colleague in ministry. He's represented uh, the Rock Community Church well on the consortium of churches. There's three churches here in Woodstock that um, combine their youth groups, both junior and senior high, and Tyler has provided leadership for the Rock Community Church there. I've appreciated him, as I've said, as an individual. We've appreciated them as a couple. Cynthia and I have had them in our home, and we've been in their home, and they are indeed a hospitable couple. I also have appreciated Tyler at the elders board table for about the last six to eight months. He's joined us as the elders, and I think I'm speaking on behalf of all of us elders that we've appreciated this young man, his discernment, his timely words, and his thoughtfulness, always been appreciated. He's been a great example. And then finally, I would say that um, when he's, we've been away and Tyler has come to this pulpit and, and preached from God's Word, he's an exceptional expositor. He loves the Word of God, and he wants to um, explain that Word in ways that will transform our lives. And I've just appreciated him so much. The, the thing that makes this kind of sad occasion somewhat bearable is the fact that he's moving into vocational ministry, and that has been our prayer for Tyler and Emily. This morning, I'm going to ask the elders to lay hands on them, and I have the privilege of praying for them as a couple, and Tyler has mentioned how much he appreciates the Valley of the Vision, and there's a prayer in that book called The Minister's Prayer, and that's going to form the basis of my prayer for them as a couple this morning. Let's pray together. Oh, my Lord, let not Tyler and Emily's ministry be approved only by men or merely win the esteem and affections of people, but do the work of grace in their hearts. Call in your elect, seal and edify the regenerate ones, and command eternal blessings on their souls. Save them from self-opinion and self-seeking, Water the hearts of those who hear your word, that seed sown in weakness may be raised in power. Cause Tyler and Emily and those who hear them to see you here in the light of special faith and hereafter in the blaze of endless glory. May every sermon be a means of grace to them, help them to experience the power of your undying love. For your blood is balm, your presence bless, your smile heaven, your cross the place where truth and mercy meet. Look upon the doubts and discouragement of their ministry and keep them from self-importance. May they beg pardon for their sins, omissions, infirmities, as a man and woman, as ministers, Command your blessing on their weak, unworthy labors and on the message of salvation given. Stay with your people under their care, and may your presence be their portion and Tyler and Emily's too. As they share your word with others, let not their words be merely elegant and masterly, their reasoning polished and refined. 
their performances powerless and tasteless, but may they exalt you and humble sinners. O Lord of power and grace, all hearts are in your hands, all events at your disposal. Set the seal of your almighty will upon their ministry. We commit Emily and Tyler to your care with love. In Jesus' name, amen. A sure appreciation to this young couple. Be a typical Sunday morning message. We're taking a break from the Gospel of John this morning to, um, to look at some foundational principles here at the Rock Community Church. The elders thought that at the beginning of a brand new season of ministry, it would be good for us to do a review. For So those who, have, who are regular participants here at the Rock, there will be nothing new this morning. Same old, same old. But I think it's important at the beginning of a, a season of ministry that we do this kind of review. In fact, depending on how well I do this morning, this may become a, an annual event on the preaching calendar that we do when we commission our ministry leaders each year. But we felt that a clear, concise review of why we are here what matters most and what, are, what we are aiming to become might be really helpful. Each year, on the Sunday that we commission these ministry stewards, this may become the theme of our message. Why we are here, what matters most, and what we are aiming to become as a local church. Let's pray together. Father, regardless of our intentions or motives, we believe that ultimately it is your goodness that has brought us together in this place this morning. We've gathered to worship you and hear from you. Hear from you as we are exposed to your written revelation, the Bible. Would you enable us to have ears to hear and eyes that see and hearts that have been prepared to receive your word. Use this exposure to your word to transform us from the inside out so that we are becoming more and more like Jesus, individually, and then through your transformation of us as individuals, may we become all that you envision TRCC to become a localized expression of the body of Christ at 1140 Nellis Ave, Nellis Street, Woodstock, Ontario, N4T1N4, by your power and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I am a survivor, not a survivor of some tragic life-altering event. Neither am I a cancer survivor, although some of you are. But I am a survivor of the mission, vision, values epidemic 
that swept through the evangelical church world back in the 1990s. Remember, we spent countless hours in surveying our congregations, in reading books, and attending Mission Vision Values seminars, wordsmithing vision statements that could be printed on t-shirts, listing our values so that we would know our guiding principles of our church. And then there were those visions, a.k.a. pipe dreams, that would rival anything Van Gogh and his fr friends had ever painted. Like an MV squared, Mission Vision Values superbug, this epidemic swept through the evangelical church world after claiming to be the key that opened the door to success in corporate America. Now, as we stare in the rearview mirror, I wonder. I wonder how much of those investments sure serve as just another great example of man attempting to do God's business man's way. And folks, those kinds of efforts in light of eternity, well, they are simply passing away. Great examples of how to build with wood, hay, and stubble. I think it was during the candidating process, maybe even during the application process for this position here at the Rock Community Church. Cynthia and I were still living in Florida at the time, and I began anticipating, as I was engaging with local churches, began anticipating some of the questions I might be asked. And certainly, one of them was this whole idea of vision. And so I sat down, and I actually wrote a short paper, titled it, My Vision, in quotation marks, for the church. Allow me to read just the opening paragraph. I cringe a little bit whenever we're asked, what is your vision for the church? I live through the days when your ability to articulate a compelling, unique, Mount Sinai-like vision for the local church puts you head and shoulders above the competition. Didn't really matter how realistic the vision was, or biblical for that matter, as long as it was convincing and compelling and painted a desirable picture of a preferred future. That's the key phrase in those days, a desirable picture of a preferred future. What I do feel more comfortable articulating is my understanding of God's vision for the local church as revealed in his word. So that's what we want to look at this morning. God's vision for the Rock Community Church. And to that end, I would like us to consider three explanations for why we are here, what matters most, and what are we aiming to become. First of all, why are we here? I'm not saying that all mission vision value 
efforts are a waste of time and energy. TRCC has a great vision statement. The Rock Community Church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's great because it's thoroughly biblical. Jesus Christ, following his resurrection from the dead, commissioned his disciples. And by inference, he's commissioning you and I, because as we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, the, the Son of God, we become his disciples. And this commission is as much ours as it was the original recipients. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. More literal translation. As you are going, make disciples. And how do we do that? By baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. It's not complicated. Jesus was clear and concise. Back in the 1970s, Leroy Imes, who was president of the Navigators, Christian group that was huge on university campus, had a huge impact on my life as a new Christian, the University of Guelph, wrote a book titled The Lost Art of Disciple Making. He includes the following illustration. Visualize a large manufacturing plant in your town or city that produces shoes. Management has invested all kinds of money. Many man hours into it, and their intent is to produce the, the best shoes on the planet. Money has been spent for salaries, for employees, shoemaking machinery, and the best raw materials that they could get their hands on. The plant is now in full operation. Hundreds of workers are active in making shoes. Machines are running at full blast, and activity is at a maximum. How many shoes have we produced so far? Asked the president of the production manager. Production manager says, none. The president said, well, how long have we been in operation? Two years. Two years and still no shoes? That's right, said the manager. No shoes, but man, have we been working hard. In fact, we've been so busy that the workers are just worn out. We've been very active doing our jobs. A diagram of that manufacturing plant might look something like this. No shoes. What might the management do in that case? Have a collective coronaries? Become angry? Concerned? Fire somebody? Try to determine what the problem is? 
probably all of the above. Because the reason for this factory's existence is to produce shoes. Management wants their investment to pay off, and it should look something like this. Now let's put a cross on that building and transform it into a church, the Rock Community Church. Again, there is much activity. Men and women are working hard. The budget is higher this year than it was last year. The church is very active. The objective, however, is not to produce shoes, but to produce disciples, genuine disciples. And it should look something like this. That is precisely why the Rock Community Church exists. Not to produce shoes or anything else. Wow, what just happened? The lights came on. But genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. So what matters most around here? We often refer to them as the five ministry non-negotiables. There's five of them. A high view of Scripture, a high view of God, a high view of Scripture, a biblical view of humanity, a biblical view of the church or our ecclesiology, to use the theological term, and a biblical view of local church leadership. In other words, the church is to be led by a plurality of qualified elders. These are our guiding principles, our values, our five non-negotiables that inform all that we do here at the Rock Community Church and what we will not do and why we do what we do. And they help us to establish our ministry priorities, choosing to do the best from the good things that we could possibly be doing. Why we are here, what matters most, and then what are we aiming to become? Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has a chapter entitled, Begin with the End in View. And that's what we're talking about here. A clear, concise vision, a desirable picture of a preferred future, beginning with the end in view. It was back when that mission, vision, values epidemic was sweeping through the evangelical church world, the Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, kind of stepped into the, the spotlight. Interesting, it was always quoted from the King James Version. Where there is no vision, people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That word keepeth would have betrayed the, the source document. So I can't ever remember hearing the end of that verse quoted. It was always the 
first half, in a time when the modern English translations were often replacing the King James Version, except when it provided a convenient translation? Well, maybe. Here's what the NIV NASB says. It translates the same verse. When there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Notice that it's a proverb. And when Hebrew proverbs are often written using a literary technique called parallelism. It's on the one hand you have this, and on the other hand you have this. But you need to keep those two parallel ideas together in order to get the meaning of the text. Instead of vision, that Hebrew word could easily have been translated word of revelation. And that is parallel to the word translated law in the second half of the verse. So here's what Proverbs chapter 29 is really teaching. Without a revelation from God, the people are unrestrained or perish, according to the King James Version. But happy are they who keep the law. In other words, live according to God's written revelation. Live obedient, God-honoring lives. So in reality, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, is encouraging us to pursue God's vision for the Rock Community Church. It's not intended to put pressure on me or the elders or anyone else to come up with some kind of desirable, grandiose picture for the Rock Community Church's preferred future. It's rather encouraging us to discover God's vision, God's from his written revelation. And so here's what we've come up with. Three passages of scripture that paint a desirable picture of God's preferred future for the Rock Community Church. Is this picture infallible? Hmm. I want to say no. And only because I know my own heart. Sometimes well-intentioned, but Jer Jeremiah reminds me, deceitful above all else. What I can say with confidence, as you will see in just a few moments, that this picture is of TRCC's preferred future is lifted from the pages of this inspired, infallible, authoritative, and all-sufficient Word of God. Is it the complete picture? Probably not. But at the very least, it prevents, presents us with a good start. So with that in mind, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, please. The 
Ephesians chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 11. And he gave, that's, and Jesus gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If you have a pen and are in the habit of underlining in your Bible, you may want to underline that phrase in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. God envisions us becoming an equipping church. We already know from our studies of the Gospel of John that when we believe in his name, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he was who he claimed to be, did what the scriptures say he did, and will do what he promised he will do, we become children of God. The Apostle Paul in John chapter 5, verse 17 says, when that happens, we become new creatures. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And from that moment forward, God looks at your life through the lens of Christ's accomplishment. Your life and my life. He sees us clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Theologically, it's referred to as positional sanctification. But in reality, you and I both know that we are not what God sees us, clothed in Jesus' righteousness. In fact, we are still working out our salvation. We are becoming what God sees us to be. Does that make sense? Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 puts it this way. Work out your salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. We are working it out as God is working in us. In one sense, from God's perspective, we have already arrived, sanctified, positionally. Presently, however, we are still becoming what he sees us to be by his power and for his glory. This is an ongoing, progressive sanctification that will continue for the rest of our lives. That, in theological terms, is called progressive sanctification. The aim is not perfection. 
It's not perfection. It is to be fully equipped, fully mature, as Christ-like as humanly possible. And it stretches on for a lifetime. Now, there are several things that God tools, let's say, tools in God's toolbox that he uses to help us with this sanctification process, moving towards maturity. First of all, there is the Holy Spirit who indwells every genuine believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. So the Holy Spirit indwells every genuine believer that helps us in that maturing process. Of course, there's the, the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, fully equipped for every good work. Tough times grow us as well. Listen to these words from James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, tough times, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then there's the church. And by church, I'm referring to that localized expression, the body of Christ. A community of faith where you are known and can know one another. Where we connect with each other, not in a superficial way, but in an intimate way. A place where we can be safely at home. We can be ourselves and grow towards what God intends us to become. An interdependent community where each participant knows that we're better together. You're helping me to become a better man type of community. John Stott, the well-known British pastor, wrote this in his book, The Living Church. In fact, it is in the opening paragraph of the very first chapter of that book, and the title of it is Essentials, God's Vision for His Church. These are his words. First, I'm assuming that we are, not, we are all committed to the church. We're not only Christian people, we are also church people. We're not only committed to Christ, we're also committed to the body of Christ. At least I hope so. I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person, for the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought, it is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for his purpose conceived in eternity past, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in, in a future eternity is not just to save isolated individuals, 
and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church, that is, to call out of the world a people for his own glory. God envisions TRCC becoming an equipping church where his people will learn to to celebrate, demonstrate, and proclaim the gospel in all of its fullness. God enable TRCC to become an effective equipping center that is enabling your people to become all that you intend us to become, both individually and collectively, by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now turn to John chapter 17 for a moment. Verse 20 of John chapter 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Now, let me just paint for a moment. Actually, the the phrase that you want to underline here is in verse 21, that they may all be one. So God envisions us becoming a united church. I just want to remind you of the historical context here. Jesus, you'll remember, has been in the upper room celebrating the last Passover supper with his disciples. As they eat or prepare to eat, Jesus gets up from the table and plays the role of the household servant. Removing his outer garment, he washes the feet of each of his disciples. And then they begin to celebrate the Passover meal. Judas is identified by Jesus. He leaves, goes out into the darkness to make arrangements for the betrayal. They finish the Passover meal. They sing a hymn, and then they go out into the darkness as a group, begin to make their way through the streets of Jerusalem. The streets may be crowded because all the pilgrims have come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus walking through the streets of Jerusalem with the eleven in tow, and he's going to walk through Jerusalem and down through the Kidron Valley and up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he walks, he begins to pray. First for himself, then for the eleven that are with him, his disciples, 
And then he prays for you and I. Did you notice that? Not on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and I. And of all the things that he could have prayed for, what does he pray? For oneness. That tells me a couple of things. Number one, oneness is of primary importance. Secondly, it's going to be our biggest challenge. Listen to John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one toward another. That's John chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Two chapters later, John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Five verses later, John chapter 15, verse 17. This I command you, that you love one another. Are we getting the message? The oneness that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 is the visible expression of the love that he kept commanding us to have for one another. Be an interesting study sometime that we could engage in looking at all the New Testament passages with that phrase, one another in it. I think there's some 50-some passages that really give us ways that we can express our love for one another, how we relate to each other in ways that facilitate the kinds of relationship that God desires for us. It's no question. No one can read the New Testament without realizing that God desires us to live life together in an interdependent assembly of believers called the church. And for you and I, it's called the Rock Community Church. Father, by your power and your glory, enable TRCC to become one. Perfect us in unity so that the world may know that you sent Jesus and that you love them, even as you love him. Our final passage is found in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Here's the phrase that we need to underline. Being of the same mind. In verse 2. Being of the same mind. New Living Translation says being, or sorry, New International Version says being like-minded, and the New Living Translation says agreeing wholeheartedly with, with each other. We share the same thoughts, same hopes, and same dreams. Our ideas are similar. Maybe not initially. We're not carbon copies of one another. But eventually, we're able to agree, come to a mutual understanding that this is the best way forward. We're all pulling in the same direction. God envisions us becoming an aligned church. The Apostle Paul goes on to mention four building blocks. There are actually four participle statements here, in, or phrases here in Philippians chapter 2. Four building blocks for alignment. Maintain love for one another. Maintain unity in spirit and purpose. View other people as more important than themselves. And do not do anything out of selfish ambition or selfish or empty conceit. And fourthly, consider the interests of others, not just their own. Let me read Eugene Peterson's interpretive translation of these verses. If you've gotten anything out of the following, out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others to get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Folks, humility is the foundation. Without humility, we're building on sand. And we will sow the seeds of dissension. Pride will divide us. Father, keep us from this kind of pride, of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. May we be more interested in putting ourselves aside and helping others get ahead. Develop in us the same attitude that Jesus displayed so that your thoughts become our thoughts, your ways, our ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there you have it. God's vision for the Rock Community Church. That we would become an equipping center for his people. That we would become the answer to Jesus' prayer. And thirdly, that we would be aligned. We'd be found all pulling in the same direction. And this isn't a checklist to be completed, but rather envision them as overlapping circles. And we want to be found operating in the sweet spot. Can you imagine? Can you imagine TRCC operating in that sweet spot?
realizing all that God has envisioned us to become as a local church. Can you imagine? I can. For three reasons. Number one, God's promise. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades is really a reference to death. So what he's saying is Jesus' death, the deaths of his disciples, your death or my death, will not prevent God from building his church. That's a promise. Secondly, God's presence. Remember that commissioning verse? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go as you are going, make disciples of all nations. It ends with this. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, all things become possible. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. God's power is the third thing. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Following his resurrection just prior to his ascension, he meets with his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That is the same Spirit that indwells you and me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul asks a rhetorical question. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The promise, presence, and power of God. That's why we can imagine TRCC becoming an equipping center, an answer to Jesus' prayer, and a group that is functioning as one, all pulling in the same direction. Will you join me in praying to that end? As often as God brings this local assembly of believers to mind, pray that we would become an equipping center, that we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one, that we would be aligned, all pulling in the same direction. Let's pray. God, this is your church, a localized expression of the body of Christ. You've brought us together in this place, at this time, for your purposes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, it states that you have placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as you desired. Thank you for the, your intimate involvement in our individual and collective lives. May we be found faithful, serving your plans and purposes by serving each other so that your vision for the Rock Community Church becomes our reality by the power of your spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.